This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. When I joined Clear Asia in September 2012, the longest and largest severe air pollution episodes happened at the end of 2012 and beginning of 2013. When it happened, all the flagship buildings, we couldn't see it. The visibility the is visibility. almost a zero. <laughs> exactly. When it happened, actually, my reaction was happy because that severity, that events created the momentum in China that finally the public, the government, they could really, really see the importance of protecting the air we breathe every day. Then government released the National Action Plan, the first time in history in China. As a person living in Beijing and also as a professional organization, we did see substantial reduction of air pollution levels in Beijing in many other Chinese cities. For us, the future, the only path is if we want to develop our economy further, if we want to live a better life, we must protect the environment, including air quality. It's just we need to be mindful and we need to be smarter in terms of using what policies to achieve both the economic targets and the air quality improvement targets. Hello and welcome. I'm Manling in Beijing. The United Nations has designated the 5th of June as World Environment Day. The theme for 2019 is Beat Air Pollution. The call to action was chosen by this year's host, China. And my guest today is Fu Lu, China Director of Clean Air Asia, an international NGO that works for better air quality and healthier, more livable cities in Asia. As a person living in Beijing and a professional working in the field of environmental protection, Fu Lu will share her observations and thinking about air quality issues in China. Welcome to studio. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? My name is Fulu. I have a passion for environmental protection. I've been working in this field for 16 years. I studied law in university, and then my experience, I first started with United States Environment Program in Bangkok office. UNEP. UNEP, yes. And then I went back to China, worked for to environmental consulting firms, and currently I'm working for a non-profit NGO called Clean Air Asia. Clean Air Asia. Asia. Yes. And you're the chief of the office? Yeah, I'm heading the China office. Is it a very, very heavy responsibility? I would say yes, but I'm lucky with a very capable team. So How many of them? Now we have seven staff in the China office. Are you the first head of the office here? No. You have a predecessor? Yes. And who was he or who was she? She. She. Yes. I think she's, she's the, the first one. first staff recruited by Clean Asia in China. And then she's the one building the China team between 2002 to 
2002 and 12, that means 10 years, right? Yes. And after 10 years, you were the second lady yes. who relayed the torch, I call it, environmental protection. Yes. Do you think it's an easier job compared to hers or do you think it's getting more difficult? I would say it's different phases. The former China director, her name is Peng Yan. I think for her, it's definitely not easy as the first staff building the foundation for the China work of Clean Asia. Especially back then, air quality was not really the priority on the government agenda in China. So it's a different story for her in terms of working on this topic in China, competing with other different topics in terms of environment protection. And then when I joined Clean Asia in September 2012, just after three months, then the longest and largest severe air pollution episodes happened at the end of 2012 and beginning of 2013. I guess many listeners know that China government released the National Action Plan the first time in history in China. Before that, we have only PM10. Yes, exactly. As measurement. Exactly. And afterwards, we introduced the PM2.5. Yes, and also added the another criteria air pollutant, ground level ozone. Environmental protection, like you said, when your predecessor was there putting everything together from scratch, her difficulties is to build some sort of mechanism from nothing, exactly. from zero. And then you were the one who went into and came across the severest smog we called umai in Chinese, right? Yes. And then the anxiety and the worry from the public. Did you feel that? Sure, including myself. When it happened, our office was in Yong'anli. It's very close to the Guomao area, which is the business center in Beijing. All the flagship buildings we couldn't see it. The visibility the is visible. almost a zero. <laughs> exactly. And also we went down to the street. We wanted to take pictures of the flagship building. We couldn't see it. And we also smelled the uh, street. What sort of a smell is that? Yeah, the smog just make us want to, to some extent, choke. It's definitely not good smell. Do you think it's mostly psychological? Uh, I think both. Definitely it's the chemicals and everything because... Already in 2014, the World Health Organization listed PM2.5 and also in total ambient air pollution as the group one substances that can cause cancer to people. Can I call you, you and the seven other staff, as um, the caretaker of clean air here directly in Beijing? And then when you were faced with that sort of severity of air, what sort of feelings you are having? As an ordinary people, sometimes we feel desperate and hopeless. But you are the professionals. And I wonder, were you despaired? I guess my answer may shock you and the listeners. Really? Okay. When it happened, actually, my reaction was happy. Happy? Because you got a job to do. Exactly. My goodness. Because we, I hate you. <laughs> because that severity, that events created the momentum in China, that finally the public, the government, they could really, really see the importance of protecting the air we breathe every day. I understand you. It's like switching on the awareness button. Exactly. Wow, I got excited. 
You're a lovely uh, interviewee. Okay, I understand you. As a professional environmental sort of expert, you got excited, maybe not happy. I think, I guess you're happy for your job, but you definitely feel sad for, you know, the people who are breathing such air. But you see hope, right? Because you're happy, you see hope. Yes. And then starting from that very point, what did you do? From that very point. Just take some pictures? (laughs) When you ask the question, the vivid pictures on that day, it came back to me. Back then, the former chat director was in the office. I think the first reaction that we got was actually from the international media. They wanted us to take interviews about what happened here in China. A they foreigner. Want, foreigner. They interviewed my predecessor, the former China director. I know. They interviewed the Chinese environmental experts, yes. right? That's the first thing that happened. And for us, for Clear Asia, mm. our headquarter prepared immediate response to what happened here in China and what we could do. I think that's the first reaction. Proposals, right? Yeah, proposals from Clear Asia. That's 2012. 12, yeah. Seven years later, these questions are still lingering in me. Mm. How the professionals like you were feeling at that moment? Did you feel sad? I feel sad because what happened to people, Mm -hmm. it affects everybody's health. But the air pollution problem had been existing in China for many years. Just to that point, it became really, really severe that everybody can see it with their naked eyes. So then it became the moment that we knew that China going to take actions. And China government actually took very quick actions to formulate the national action plan. And in the next, until now, seven years, they have taken great progress in terms of cleaning up the air. At that moment, the enormity of the problems, did you feel that you don't know even where to start with? And it must be a very, very difficult task. I think at that moment, the first thing came to our mind was what we could do as a foreign NGO, because we knew what the government would do. It's up to us to see how a foreign NGO that have been working on air quality issue for more than 10 years, at that moment in China, what we could do. So then our strategy was first, we need to train the city officials increase their management capacities, technical capacities to address air pollution in their cities. Are you telling me that you guys acted as educators? Yes, we are. You're the first batch of people who are training the officials to into action. Yes. Wow. Why should they trust you? Why should they rely on you? You're a foreign NGO. That's actually a very good question. We've been asked this question many times. Why do they trust us? Because we have been working here for more than 10 years. They have attended our trainings in the past 10 years, and they knew how we organized the training. The international experts we brought from the US, from Europe, from Japan, from Singapore, and they knew how we designed the themes of each training. The knowledge, the experience that we brought here can actually help them. That's why the leading cities in terms of air quality improvement, the cities that attended our trainings, these are the leading cities when the National Action Plan was formulated, when it was put into implementation. That's why after this National Action Plan was released and those mandates were set for cities, those lots of requirements in terms of implementation were ordered to the local cities, many more cities came to us asking that we want to join your training. So you became a pilot program 
for others to follow. Yes. Without actually being taken seriously, how could you stay for 10 years without leaving? Because there were knees. Although the knees was not as big as after what 2013, there were cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen. They understood the importance of air quality improvement, and they attended the trainings. Did you have competitions, I mean, other NGOs in this country? I would say before 2012, no. And we now? were the only NGO working dedicated to air quality. But after 2012, when clearly air quality became the top priority on the government agenda, many other NGOs, both local and international, they joined this battle. And then you guys are now competing with each other? Sometimes competing. Sometimes but cooperation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> are you still the leader? I, I mean. believe so. Okay. Tell me how difficult the task is now or how much improved, because I saw a piece of video you gave on a environmental protection forum and you summarized several points that to explain why China was efficient in its own way to make progress, remarkable progress, which is um, unprecedented to other nations, like 12 to now, it's seven years, right? Can you just share with us what are the strong points? How can we make it? You. Oh, that's, I think, the one Better Air Quality Conference that mm-hmm. we organized mm-hmm. in November last year in Kuching, Malaysia. And uh, would you please share with us? You yes, know? you are a very good interviewer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a strong researcher <laughs> behind me. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Actually, because the National Action Plan just mentioned, that's the first National Action Plan released by the China government in 2013. It's a five-year action plan. It ended in 2013, uh, 2017, 2017. 2017, Mm, so it's mm, five years. And we kept track of the progress of that National Action Plan every year. We released a new report called China Air. Every year, tracking the progress was the status of air quality in 338 cities in China. And then what the policies... It's always 338. uh, No, at the very beginning, it's only 74. Oh, okay. And then it became 161. And then lastly, 338 Chinese cities. Mm -hmm. And we also track what policies were enacted. And also, we analyze whether these released or enacted policies were actually implemented on the ground. We've been doing that. And then by the end of 2017, mm-hmm. as a person living in Beijing and also as a professional organization, we did see substantial reduction of air pollution levels in Beijing in many other Chinese cities. Then we asked ourselves, are there any effective measures that China really adopted and worked well to lead to such substantial reduction. So we work as a team and analyze these measures, and we develop a report called Breakthroughs, China's Path to Clean Air between 2013 and 2017. Mm -hmm. That's the one we based on analyzing the experience and lessons learned for the past five years and talked at the forum that you just mentioned. Yeah. So that's the background. So what are the keys to success? Yes, exactly. The keys, we believe, first is very strong political will at the central level, central government in China. Without such strong political will, there wouldn't be a quick action of releasing the national action plan. There wouldn't be a strong mechanism to ensure that the national action plan can be implemented at the city level. So for us, the first and foremost message 
we would share with other Asian developing countries is if you want to work on care, air quality, government should take the Gov- lead. Exactly. And from top down, that means right. From, yeah, from top down. And the second, the second is because you use the right word, top down approach. Then, if it's a top down approach, how a national action plan can be actually effectively implemented on the ground. And for the past seven years, China created a mechanism to push and encourage the local government to implement how? the national policies. I'll give you one concrete example here. Yeah. Actually, two. First was. The city ranking, we know. Oh, oh, ranking! Yeah, ranking. It's like a school classmates. You know, you are the top student. You are the second student. Does it work? It worked really, really well. In China, huh? It's the top ten, top ten cities with clear sky, and then the worst ten with air pollution in your cities. It worked well because it's all called naming and shaming. It's released to the public. Everybody know that the city I live. Oh, like living every day is the bottom one. And did you want to buy a property somewhere else and just move out of that city? You just got the point because that information was released to everybody. Everybody knows, including the real estate developer.、Hmm. Why would I want to invest my money there? So it's not just air pollution anymore. It's related to economic development. It relates to if you can attract talents to your city. And the other one is here officials promotion. Who are decided? You, are you telling me that we are using Chinese wisdom and Chinese philosophy to run this country? Because name and shame, Chinese people cared so much about their face. Yes, losing face is such a bad thing. Yes, and then we are telling people that you know if you don't do well, you're going to lose face. Yes, and not only losing face, you're going to lose economic returns. Oh, that is magic! Yes. What is the third one? The one actually relate directly to mayors' future promotion opportunities. Because when the national action plan was released, the central government also developed a system how to evaluate the performance of cities, and then the city mayors actually responsible for achieving the targets. It's a concrete scoring system. That one has two evaluation: one is midterm and one is end term. Midterm and end term. Yes, year end in the middle of the year, and then the end of the year. The, right? No, midterm no. is in terms of the five year midterm. Oh, you、and、mean the, their tenure, right?、Yes. Their position. Yes. Wow. So if you cannot achieve your targets, just based on the scoring, if you fail, then your promotion will be affected. Uh, okay. It's even for officials appointment or promotion or you may be. I think every official actually cared about their position, right? Yes. They wanted to go up. Yes. And then this environmental, this air clean or not, is one of the appraisal sort of a indicator. Wow, this is a third something. <laughs> Amazing, you know.、Um, as a reporter, I've been reporting or paying attention to all the environmental news. But I didn't really, you know, went into. Oh, I realized that later we have, in order to clean the rivers and lakes, you know, we have、uh, created positions as the、uh, chief of the lake. Yeah, I've read about this. He Zhang, right? And then the Hu Zhang or something like that. That means if you attach responsibility to each individual, it's going to work. I would say so, but I don't think would work in all all sectors. All sectors. It really depends. So far, I think it worked really well for air quality. Ah,、uh, okay. And then the last one. 
And the last one, I think a big change in the past several years is now China really, really attach importance to science-based policymaking. This is for us big, big change. Lots of examples. I think I'll share just one. When we talk about air pollution in the city, the basis, the foundation is a city needs to know where the emission comes from, the emission sources. In the past, I mean before 2012, the policymakers, professionals, uh, professionals, they know generally speaking, uh, stationary sources, the power plants, the industries, the vehicles. But we didn't have the emissions inventory in technical terms, meaning a clear inventory of where each emission sources is located. And also, we haven't done source apportionment, meaning analyze for my city, which sector or which emission source as a group contributes the biggest to the air pollution in my city. We haven't done that before 2012, but after 2013, uh, since 2013. And until now. Yeah. Central government has been releasing technical guidelines how to develop emissions inventory, how to do source apportionment. And pilot cities, including the big cities we know, and also all the cities in the key regions we say here, meaning the cities are really heavily polluted or cities that have the potential to attain the China ambient air quality as soon as possible. These cities, they have developed the emissions inventories, they have done the source apportionment. So with a very clear picture are you telling me that you now have a map yes. of the locations of the, you know, polluting sort of factories and polluting venues? Not me, not Clear Asia, but the government. Yes. I know. Central government. You, local in government. my eyes, is a bunch of people, you know, including <laughs> everybody who's fighting against the environmental pressure. Do you yes. think the government have it? Yes. They and is the government using that map to monitor all these factories? Yes. We now have quite advanced monitoring systems in not only the air quality we breathe and also the emission sources. Okay, so being blind to where they were and uh, is totally different from now, you know where they are, but there is something behind it. Okay, you cannot really shut down all these small factories overnight because then you're going to trigger on social problems, you know, workers losing their jobs, factories closing down. How do you balance these two? Whenever, what policies they put in place, they need to analyze better before they actually implement it. That's also a message we have been promoting. Besides the science-based policymaking, we are also calling for central government or local government develop a policy. They need to analyze the social impact, the economic impact, and also the health impact with such a comprehensive must-do analysis, then they can develop, formulate better policies in the future. I don't think China has a path to go back to the old ways how we develop the economy and how we protect the environment. For us, the future, the only path is if we want to develop our economy further, if we want to live a better life, we must protect the environment, including air quality. It just we need to be mindful and we need to be smarter in terms of using what policies to achieve both the economic targets and the air quality improvement targets. So there's no way back in I, your eyes. I don't think there is. It's not regressing, but it's adjusting. Learning by doing. Okay. Learning <laughs> by doing. <laughs> that's why I would say, yes, I agree. I think yeah. for China, that's been our practice. Because this is a road or a path that we have never been traveling on. 
right? Exactly. And I don't think any other countries can give us can give models. Us, no. So, do you feel excited? Yes, that's、yeah. why I'm working on this, and I'm still here in China. In this episode, Fulu has shared some stories about the changes she's witnessed since 2013, when China released its first air pollution action plan. But why was she interested in law, and why did a law major end up in the field of environmental protection? In the next episode, Fulu will tell us more about her personal growth. We will also talk about how we can change our everyday lives to reduce the amount of air pollution we produce. I'm Manling in Beijing. Thank you for listening to our program. If you liked it and want to listen to us again, just find us on our website chinaplus.cri.cn and Apple Podcasts. Thank、you